You are listening to the Independent Dealer Podcast with hosts Luke Godwin and Jeff Watson. Hello and welcome to the Independent Dealer Podcast brought to you by Buckeye Dealership Consulting. Luke, just you and I today, hot topics, man. I want to talk about a couple of interesting news articles that have come up and just kind of get your take on a few of them. Um, Because I think a lot's there is a lot going on right now in the car industry, especially as it has to do with pricing, right? There's such a crazy disparity between auction prices, retail prices, demand, this post-COVID kind of hangover and like all this demand that was pulled forward. Like, I don't know, man, it's it's crazy. And I say that, but we always say it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's that time of the year. Prices are, you know, at their peak probably, Um I would think two weeks ago, maybe, maybe three weeks ago with auction uh, at their peak. I think we'll see a steady fall from here, in my opinion, until the end of the year. I I don't see uh, demand um, that's going to keep it, keep it where they are. Um, When you start seeing floor plans back out, you can really see a precipitous drop in prices. And I think uh, we'll probably see that with interest rates rising. Um, so I think there's a perfect storm to cause prices to come down. I do not believe they're going to come down rapidly. Um, I believe it's going to be a, but a steady downturn, uh, in prices. Kind of like your typical slow burn. And it's funny. We talk about this every year. It's like, yes, guys, prices go up in January, February, March. Like that's what happens every single year. So what I'm going to find interesting is the tax time demand, keeping some dealers afloat that would not have been afloat if they weren't selling cars, right? Because sales yeah. solves everything, right? Turn time solves everything. You could be heavy in your inventory. You could have curtailments and you could have been overbought. But as long as you're able to turn units and get them out the door, nothing really crashes. But now if you're heavy into units and you bought them at yesterday's prices and then all of a sudden the demand slows down and your sales drop, and at the same time, the flooring line is knocking at your door, oh man. That's a perfect storm. And I, I mean, honestly, that's where uh, retail dealers will find they may end up, unfortunately. Um, it, buy here, pay here dealers have the luxury that they don't have to sell cars to survive, right? Yeah, um, for a minute. And so for, for well, it depends on your, honestly, it depends on how leveraged that you structure, are. structure, yeah. Yeah, all that. But um, you can just say, okay, we're just going to sit here and collect cash. We're not going to buy an inventory, right? And, and you can do that. And it will get you to a certain point. Unfortunately, retail dealers don't have that luxury because they really don't have any residual revenue coming in. And so when expenses are higher because your floor plan interest rate ran up, when uh, sales slow and the expenses you had on your dealership stay the same, it, it creates a really, really bad situation. And hopefully none of, nobody listening to us is going to experience that. But it's just something to plan for, right, Jeff? Um, yeah. Luckily, prices will fall. Um, I believe new car production is up uh, drastically compared to this time 18 months ago, this time 12 months ago. And so uh, new cars are coming. Uh, prices are going to come down. And you'll see even rental cars start to flow back into market, leases start to flow back into market. So <laughs> with a ton of miles. But- <laughs> with, with a ton of miles. You know, the other thing that's funny in this is you're going to have so many people upside down. Mm. Um, I mean, and, and I've seen it, man. Just some of the crazy, uh, I said, last week we had somebody that was $14,000 upside down on a, on a $14,000 maximum. 
Um, yeah. they, were, they were trying to trade with us. And so this is going to create more repos, which will, will force prices down. Um, it will also slow retail sales again. You know, it's, it's the, it's the uh, it, it will slow these sales while people try to pay out. And what you're going to find is more people are not willing to stick to it and pay out. So their credit rating is going to go down. There's going to be more repos on the market. Yeah. So, and I think I the Mannheim gonna... report came out and said that retail sales were down uh, for March, right? I think overall retail sales, 6%, something like that, down for March year over year. So we see a retail slowdown, even though the prices at the auction have stayed healthy, yeah? Yeah, um, yeah, they're, they're going to fall. Yeah, so that that that, like you said, creates kind of that perfect storm situation. What's interesting to me, though, when you say that you don't see those prices and people being upside down, you know, new car, the cost of a new car has gone up too, right? So people's payments, um, you know, that's something we've talked about before, but your average payment is like $700 now or seven mid 700s. Yeah. I mean, that's jumped up, what, like $100 a month from last year. I mean, we hit like 650 <laughs> And people were crazy, like, oh, a new car, average payment $650. Now the new car is $750. And, and the average used car payment's around the $600 range, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And average used is getting is, is flirting with $600. So, I mean, cars are just more expensive. Part of that, obviously, is the interest rate spread, right? You look at, like, what was a new car interest rate at the 4%, and now you're, like, 7%, right? Um, and used, you're you're similar, you know. I think you I think were that, at seven up to eleven. I think the average new car prices is, is close to fifty thousand dollars now. Yeah, which, uh, in the last, uh, I think in the last three years, has gone up thirty uh, percent or something, something crazy like that, so, or yeah. maybe twenty percent. It's a big number, um, and 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 you know what we saw? We have seen inflation in our industry more than I believe maybe any industry, except for maybe eggs for a certain <laughs> point, but. I mean, it's just incredible. Uh, I've never lived through inflation uh, like this. I mean, I did I did live through inflation like this, but I was too young to understand it. Um, but now we're really in a, a pickle. Yeah. It, inflation for industries like ours are so, are, are so uh, they're drawn out, right? Like eggs might spike, toilet paper might spike. You know, some of these silly runs and, and, and issues in the supply chain may spike certain inflation on certain things. But for ours, it's such a long lead time, right? Cars are such a long process. Um, you know, and other industries have that when you're talking about manufacturing goods or electronics or these larger long lead time type items. But ours has so many little components that come from all over the well, place and each one jumps up 10%. And that adds to that overall cost of the car when it finally gets here. Um, then there's another piece of that. That inflation lasts for years. Yeah. Um, because of of people financing their cars for too long, right? And so it, it leads to repos and it leads to, uh, you know, bad credit. It leads to these things. So it's not just the initial portion of of inflation in the good soul. It, it it's a chain reaction as a snowball and, and we've got to observe that. And, yeah. My question is, does it leave more, does it leave air cover for used cars to stay high in price? Right. Because a new is now 40, 50 grand. That one or two year old model one is actually selling for more than retail, you know, because the new one went up so much, those, those used prices have more room where it's like, man, the difference between a used and a new 
okay, I'm just going to buy used because new has gotten crazy. Yeah, I, I think. Um, I, I, so I was trying to sell a customer a, uh, a 2021 F-150 Larry the other day. And, and let's just say that it was 50, it was it, to him, it was going to be $58,000. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I pull up the, the window sticker and the window yeah. sticker was, was Show like, him the window sticker <laughs> was like 55. Right. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, well, Luke, he, Luke, I, I, I can pay more than, than the window sticker. If I want to, I have the money mm -hmm. to do it, but I'm not going to. Yeah. And I, said, I said, well, if you want one, you're going to have to. Yeah. And he said, well, how much is a new one? And me like a dummy, I didn't know. So I call up my buddy who's a new Ford dealer. I said, Hey, What's the new sticker on this? He said, it's $76,000. Mm. And I go, what? And it's, you know, yeah. lightly, it was $76,000. Mm -hmm. So the difference in a 2021 sticker price and a 2023 sticker price, it's it's $20,000 more. Yeah. So so then once I reported back that this one was 58, he was a lot it was a lot happier about that, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's to my point. You got to, you know, yeah, you're paying you're paying more for this car than the person who bought it new paid for it. But, and again, that was MSRP. There's no guarantee that thing went for MSRP back in 2021 either. So, yeah, again, not accurate information. So, Luke, uh, obviously, guys, hopefully you listen to this in a timely matter. We are at the beginning, mid of April. Um, we've got Buy Here, Pay Here United coming up in just a couple weeks. So if you haven't already signed up for Buy Here, Pay Here United in Las Vegas, you've got to jump on it today, right now, get on your computer, book a hotel, book flights, get there. I mean, we're like 20 days away. So um, there's probably a flight or two left that can get you to Vegas. You can get to Vegas from, um, you know, from the middle of the country, anywhere from Iowa, probably. I don't know. Um, but let's get, let's get there. Uh, I think they extended the hotel block just a little bit. It may still be in there. It's still pretty inexpensive. Come to the Bellagio, um, see all the great dealers helping us try to get better. Jeff and I will be there. And Jeff, we we got this little thing we want to do out there, and, and it's we want to interview some dealers, and we want to ask you about your daily routine, right? Yeah. And I think I think it will help other dealers figure out how to time management better. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so true. You know, as dealers, we always battle a the work life balance, b the personal, you know, our own health. We think we're going to live forever, and we don't need to take care of ourselves. And there's always a fire to put out. But there are a handful of dealers that are able to balance that out. And I think it takes a lot of discipline. You know, I mean, even for me, if I have an early morning meeting, I just I blow off the gym, I blow off these other things that I need to be doing because the car lot always seems to take precedence over some of these things that could be more important. Yeah. You know, I was reading a book the other day and, and um, it's master mentor, Scott uh, Miller, who's been on the podcast before. And he had interviewed this guy and essentially um, it was about, you know, block scheduling, right. And how to prepare your day um, so that you're most uh, prepared for the day or are most productive. And I really wanted to focus in on that myself. Uh, one of our listeners actually reached out, texted me the other day, said, hey, be awesome to hear what other dealers are doing. So we're going to take that run with it. And, uh, and hopefully if you see us there, say hello and, and let's, uh, let's make some uh, podcast magic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we definitely have a great time at those conventions. Anyone that hasn't been to them, 
you know, and in your in the buy here, pay here, this is a great, great one to go to because I mean, we have a good time. Great time. We definitely have a good time. So, Luke, one other thing I want to talk to you about was we've read a lot about um, new car store consolidation. You know, um, if you guys pay attention to the news, these dealer groups are being consolidated into a few big names, right? All these little regionals are getting bought up by the big, I don't know, 10 or big 12 or whoever they are. Um how does that is that good or bad for us is that something us as independents need to pay attention to do you feel like that's going to have repercussions down the road i i think it's horrible for the industry as a whole um it it limits competition to a handful of people who have public money or billions that can go to the auction groups whoever's backing them whatever whoever so they can just go to auction buy everything they want to right Mm -hmm. Um, they can kind of control the market, and they do. Um, it, I think it's unfortunate. It's also unfortunate for someone who would, uh, an independent that would like to have a new car franchise. Um, mm. It's almost, that. that's almost done now. Um, I, don't, I don't see how one individual can go and buy a franchise at this time in the market. Now, this may change. Suzuki, um, I don't know. I don't even know if Suzuki even makes a car anymore. Um, <laughs> and Mitsubishi, I mean, Mitsubishi, um, yeah, maybe I don't know. I, I've tried, I've I've tried to get in to try to get a Mitsubishi store, but um, it's a it's a concerning thing. I think it's I think it limits. I'm all for capitalism, so don't nobody fuss at me. I think it it limits competition, and I think it's it limits entrepreneurship in in the car space. Mm. Um, but but on the other hand, are we even going to have franchise dealers 15 years from now? Um, that's, you know, Tesla has proven that it works to not have franchise dealers. Um, I think Rivian is, is light years behind uh, and um, Lucid and places like that. They, I don't know if they'll ever catch up, but... Um, I can tell you this, if Ford Motor Company and General Motors and Toyota uh, decided and and had and somehow found a loophole in the legislation to say, we're done with franchises and we're just going to do this on our own, um, they could do it. And if mm-hmm. they do it, these franchise dealerships are not going to be worth anything. Well, what I could see is the economies of scale from the from the dealerships, right? If if you can go in and say, hey, you know, Ford tries to come after my franchise license and me and 10 of my large dealer group principals get together and say, hey, we own 75% of your franchise locations in the US, me and 10 of my buddies, we're formidable. Whereas back in the day, you know, Chevy had come in and strip you of your franchise license just because they didn't like you and hand yeah. it to the guy across the street. Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm just a little mom and pop with the Chevy store that they just yanked and gave to the big guy. I can't do anything about it. But if you're a big guy and they try to go against, you know, I don't know, Lithia or some of these big, big dealer groups, that's a that's a fight. That's a formidable fight that those guys will not give up their franchise and let Ford go direct to consumer because they've got billions of dollars sunk into that yeah i mean i think you will see though uh 
maybe Ford and GM spin off a uh, a different company that sells electric vehicles. Mm. Um, if they spin off an EV company, then I think they can go directly to consumer. And yeah. uh, who knows? Um, I, th I think there's a lot of things going to ha happen in that new car space in the next 15 years. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's bad for competition to let all these um, conglomerates, you know, Berkshire, uh, Lithia, uh, uh, the, the list goes on and on. At one point in my town, there were probably, uh, we're, we're about a half a million people. Mm -hmm. There were probably 20 different new car store owners. Okay. Maybe yeah, that's probably about right. 20. I think there's four yeah. now. Maybe four and two of those are very large dealership groups. Yeah, that's what ours is. We went from 10 to three and the three own the majority, own all the name brands. And then maybe there's a dealer trying to open up some boutique, small name, you know, uh, whatever Porsche or Bugatti or some Lotus or nonsense that won't survive here. But that's the way it's gone. Luke, I want to talk to you. I'm sure you've got your taxes wrapped up. Um, what has your reinsurance company done for your tax liability in 2022? And I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot there. Do you have any idea the kind of money that you saved or deferred or rerouted in taxes by putting money well, into your reinsurance company? Where our, our friends at Buckeye Dealership Consultant definitely are the people to go to to get your reinsurance. Um, Jeff has put me on the spot, so I'm, you know, I'm filling in with this. Give me a uh, guess. Give me just like a ballpark. Like, what do you think you're, and I guess if you don't have to tell us a dollar amount, cause then we're all going to, you know, find out that you make millions <laughs> a year and we'll be jealous, but from a percentage uh, standpoint, maybe, you know, you think it saves you 20, 20% on your tax bill, 10%. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to look, let's see. Um, so while you look, I would just do the rough math and say, okay, if I was going to have a net income you know, of a million dollars in my dealership at the end of the year, right? That's a whatever number. If I were putting away, you know, what, 100, 200, 300, 400. I mean, if you were, if you were netting a million, you're probably putting 500,000 away or could potentially put 500,000 away into a reinsurance company through, uh, you know, your warranties through gap. If you were really taking full advantage of it, and maybe we need to get the guys on here to give us some better math, but I imagine you could probably reduce 25% or more of your tax burden. Um, I'm almost to a number here, Jeff. You can keep talking about how great dealership <laughs> consulting is, um, but I but, will give you a, a real number here in a second. Like, while Luke gets that, guys, yeah, so obviously the guys at Buckeye, great sponsors of the podcast. Uh, get your reinsurance set up now. The craziness of tax time has slowed down for you. You're going to have some time on your hands. So if you didn't do it at the first of the year, what was interesting to me is I looked up my CPI number the other day and I had no idea I had so many people on CPI and so many people paying because I don't do a good job of A, pushing it with my salesman to sell my CPI program. But also I haven't even looked at the numbers to know what kind of money I'm bringing in through CPI. So I was actually pretty surprised, you know, it's at least enough to buy lunch uh, once a week or so. So yeah, you know, go figure. It's, uh, yeah, that's, that, that is really good. So are we looking at the number compared to gross income? Sure. 
I don't know. I would just want so, to know. So I think um, compared to gross income, let's just say. Sorry, guys. I know this makes for great radio. Um, it's about 17%. Okay. So right in that ballpark, that was your gross, your gross receipts. You're putting away about 70% into your reinsurance company as an expense. So when you compare that to your bottom line, it's probably a much, much larger number that it would save you compared to your net. If you're it's saying almost hey, 40, it's almost 40% of the bottom yeah, line. Yeah, my net would have been a million dollars, but I was able to put four hundred thousand away into my reinsurance company. So my net income is only six hundred thousand, of which I will now pay my taxes on, depending on your state and other interests. But anyways, the argument is do the math, look at what you paid in taxes, look at what you could have reduced that tax burden by having your reinsurance. And, and it's, it's just not that. It's the wealth, Jeff. And we've talked yeah. about it so many times. You just put money away, put money away, put money away, put money away. Yeah. So that was a lengthy uh, advertisement for Buckeye. But Luke, I want to wrap up our segment with one other thing. Uh, Consumer Reports came out with their... Uh, Top cars, their top I love, cars. Under I love 50. how stupid. I love how stupid consumer reports are. But go ahead. I, anyways, so I want to run a couple of these past you. Bef under uh, under also, fifteen grand. What's that? Under fifteen grand. Is that right? Yeah, some are under fifteen, some are under ten. Um, okay. and they have different segments. You know, small cars, blah blah blah. So let's just rapid fire these. Um, small car under ten thousand dollars. They gave that to the Nissan Leaf. The best uh, small uh, car under ten thousand dollars. I I don't know anything about the Nissan Leaf. I've never thirteen and fifteen life. Nissan Leaf. Yeah, I've never bought a single one. I can't speak to that either. Best They're god awful ugly. Best midsize car under ten thousand dollars. The Subaru Legacy. No, the Legacy Outback no, maybe. Well, the problem with the, you know, I, man, I, never mind. I don't, okay. I'm gonna go there. I hate them so bad. Best midsize SUV under ten thousand. The Nissan Murano. No chance. That's garbage. It's just straight garbage. Well, I don't even know where that came from. That That's is straight the garbage. Worst car produced. Uh, uh, insane. I got a text from a buddy yesterday that his wife was broke down on the side of the road. You know what kind of car it was? Yeah, Murano. A Murano. I said, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I didn't sell that to you. Anyway. Okay. The best small car in the ten to fifteen thousand range. They have two. The Ford C-Max. I don't even know what that is. The mid-teens, 2014 to 2016 Ford C-Max. Honestly, I would probably agree with this. I wouldn't say the best small car, but it's the C-Maxes. I haven't bought a ton. I don't have a lot of issues. The other one is the Toyota Prius C. So Toyota Prius, not C, is one of the best cars ever made. The C, which Toyota, don't tell you, just stands for is cheap. And so... <laughs> But anyway, but I'll say this: a Toyota Prius cheap is probably better than any other car on the than any other non-Toyota car on the road, or non-Toyota non-Honda car on the road. Huh. The twenty thirteen to fifteen Toyota Prius C. I don't know if anyone has any other input on that. I would love to know more. The Prius line confuses the crap out of me. There's Cs, there's there's Ss, there's level threes, there's level fives, there's four, there's twos, there's which one has the engine with which battery and 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 when did they when did Toyota go off the rails with the Prius? Because I know early versions were eh, mid versions were better, and then the later versions went shitty. I bet. So I, I bet I I've sold. Know. I bet I've sold five hundred Prius. Really? Yeah, great cars. 
I don't even know where to start with them. Okay, the best midsize large cars in the 10 to 15,000 range is the 2013-14 Honda Accord. 100% agree. That's We sell, uh, we probably sell 10 a month. Um, just a wonderful, wonderful product. Uh, yeah. product. And you could find a 13 to 14 in that 10 to 15 range right now, right? With uh, you, a little Miley, a little Miley uh, okay. four-cylinder LX, yeah. The runner-up was the Toyota Camry Hybrid. Yeah, great car. Okay. I don't know. Hybrids scare me. The best luxury car in that range is the Lincoln MKZ. Um, yeah, uh, if that three that three point seven uh, Lincoln motor is, is really top notch. Uh, if you I get just the avoid it, if it has a Lincoln badge on it, I don't buy it. You get the two wheel drive. That is a that's a solid car. Mm, well, yeah, good. Um, minivan wagons in that same price range. They're saying the Toyota Venza. Yeah, hundred percent. That is good luck finding one for less than fifteen grand. But that is a solid product. Yeah, the 13 to 14 Venza. I mean, not really a minivan. I guess wagon, yeah. Yeah, wagon. That, that'd that be a base LE car with a four-cylinder, but that's a really good car. Okay, the, the small SUV in that range, the Mazda CX-5. I don't sell Mazdas. And the Toyota RAV4. Yeah, 100%. Brain, yeah, that's an obvious one. And the best pickup in the 10,000 to 15,000 range is the? F-150. No, Toyota Tacoma. No, you can't buy one for ten to fifteen thousand dollars. What are you talking about? What are that's, you talking about? That's the end of the article and the end of their list. And that one really just takes the cake for me. Is it's like <laughs> you bring me every Toyota Tacoma in the mid-teen range that you can find with respectable miles for what? ten to fifteen grand, and I'll buy. It. A, what years? Come what on. years? What year Tacoma was that? It said twenty thirteen. Oh my God! Maybe a pre-runner, maybe two hundred thousand miles. And even buy a pre. You can't buy a pre-runner for that. You can buy the like the single cab, the base, um, the base single cab with roll-up windows without AC for that. I think. Maybe. Well, the picture they have is like an SR5 with a dual uh, quad cab. So yeah, yeah, that's very true. misleading. Um, we still got to, we got to talk about our friends at Primal Inn. And yes. All the I mean, you're gonna need some money, guys. Um, I'm actually going to visit my banker tomorrow. Uh, tax season was very good. And when tax season is good, what does it do to your cash? And you buy here, pay your business, uh, Jeff. Is that why my bank account is so low right now? That is why your bank account is so low. But those boys at Primal Land, they will take care of you. Uh, Todd Yates is a professional and he will help you figure out how to get better running your buy here, pay your business, and also figure out how to get you capital to run it more smoothly. <laughs> And the beauty of loaning money right now is if you can get it, which I believe Primal End and, you know, and with today's interest rates, if you can make that pencil for you, you are going to be running a lean business in a, in a time that hopefully will not get much worse, but you're not coming in with fake puffed up financials, right? It's like, sure, anyone can make these programs work or my flooring line makes sense or my buy here, pay here portfolio makes sense when I'm getting money at four and 5%, right? Yeah. And then when it starts getting to that nine and 10% area, does that break everything? So if you can do it now, you can do it. Like they always talk about some of the best startups and some of the best businesses are always born out of recessions, right? They're born in hard times when they really have to like make every single dollar count 
when yep. things are great and it's all frothy, man, we all get fat and happy. So, and, and what we also hear out there is commercial uh, property is going to start to to go down. So, Matt, you know, in the next little bit, it might be a time to look at buying your property or maybe move into a better piece of property. And yeah. Primal, and of course, can can help you do that as well. Or you could vulture in on that dealer down the street who's over leveraged and yep. sitting on too 100%. much inventory, and then you swoop in like a and just pick the carcass. Sure. <laughs> awesome, Luke. Hey, this has been so much fun. Um, uh, guys, we'll see you next week and uh, hopefully see you buy here, pay here united at the end of the month. Yep. Dealers helping dealers. Please leave us a review and subscribe. The Independent Dealer Podcast.